the hard shoulder on Newstalk with Nissan's big electric switch. Scrappage is now available on your old car when you switch to a 100% electric Nissan Leaf. Well, here in the hard shoulder, we are continuing our dictator series now, looking into the worlds of a dictator, their life, their times, how they ruled over their country. And as ever, News Talk's own Simon Tierney is with me. Simon, we've had some we've had some really great hits here. You know, we've had Kim Jong-un, we've had Ceausescu this week. Fidel Castro, a controversial choice, I think, maybe, according to some of our listeners. I, I'm conscious that we have people tuning into this show. I think Fidel's a hero. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, I think that's fair enough that uh, this is a controversial choice. People will wonder why he's on this list at all. Um, I remember, well, I don't remember, but there's a famous quotation of Fidel Castro. He was asked in an interview with Playboy in 1985. Uh, I only read it for the articles. Of course, of course, <laughs> like myself. But they they do have fantastic historical archive interviews. And um, he was asked to respond to Ronald Reagan's assertion that he was a ruthless military dictator. And his response is really interesting because you can imagine all the people that we're looking at in this series, Kieran, none of them are going to kind of wake up in the morning, look in the mirror and go, I'm a dictator. Like they don't call themselves, they don't, you know, self-identify as not, dictators. They're not in a WhatsApp group. No, they're not. Like I am, I'm kind of installing, uh, I'm imposing dictators that idea who lunch on them. Hey guys, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, I'm a dictator. Get me out of here. I mean, it just writes itself, doesn't it? But uh, when he was asked to respond, he said, "Let's think about your question. If being a dictator means governing by decree, then you might use that argument to accuse the Pope of being a dictator. If President Reagan's power includes something as monstrously undemocratic as the ability to order a thermonuclear war, I ask you, who then is more of a dictator, the President of the United States?" Or I. I, I know he's being rhetorical, but the the answer is Castro. I mean, by lots of metrics, you know, and America is not perfect, but I mean, Castro was a dictator. He was, he was. And I think the reason why I wanted to include him on this is because to sort of lay down a couple of the criteria that he really delivers on and the ingredients, the recipe for a dictator. I mean, you know... Fidel's tenure, it's controversial. On the one hand, he brought uh, almost universal literacy, a fantastic health service to Cuba. On the other hand, he will be accused of isolating his nation. Some will say, well, America isolated Cuba because of the economic embargo, the economic war. Um, Some will describe him as a liberator, that he liberated um, Cuba from a puppet dictator in the guise of Fulgencio Batista, who was his predecessor. But of course, others then will argue that he replaced one dictator with another dictatorship. And I think that's fair enough. I mean, all the ingredients are here, Kieran. He, what are they? What are the ingredients then that identify Fidel Castro as a dictator? OK, so he uh, eradicated freedom of expression. Um, he eradicated a pluralistic uh, political landscape. He introduced a one-party system where uh, nobody except his own communist uh, autocracy could govern in in that country. It's the same to this day. Um, most civil liberties were curtailed uh, during his time. I, I There was a famous quotation by our own president, uh, Michael D. Higgins, when he died. He said that he'll be remembered as a giant among global leaders who's 
view was not only one of freedom for his people, but for all of the oppressed and excluded peoples on the planet. And it's curious I, I, yeah, when you unless look back he was on doing that. the oppressing. Well, it, it, this is the thing. Like he did uh, liberate his country from a dictatorship, he uh, which had an enormous amount of American control in terms of commerce, the sugarcane, the casinos, everything in in Havana in the nineteen fifties. But at the same time, the freedoms of his own people were so restricted. Um, as I say, freedom of the press, but also the way the law was carried out. I mean, one really important example of the the ruthless suppression um, of any sort of dissidence under the Castro regime is the infamous social dangerousness law. This was brought in by Castro um, in a, as a way to sort of uh, what we might describe today as to prosecute pre-crime. So the idea was that somebody could be convicted on a felony charge before they actually did anything wrong, uh, which, of course, is an extremely suspect way to carry out a justice system. Um, uh, you know, there's various examples of this law being carried out. Perhaps one of the worst examples is a woman called Yanis Ladis Ramirez Terrell. In 2010, she was a 25-year-old woman. Um, she was convicted ostensibly because of prostitution, but the real reason for her internment was her affiliation with various opposition groups. She was sentenced to four years in a re-education camp. I mean, the term re-education camp just yeah. screams communist dictatorship. Because uh, there's an impression maybe that, that uh, Cuba is all warm and woolly and nice these days. I mean, 2010 is not that long ago for people to be locked up in prison for four years just because they're affiliated with, with, with opposition politicians. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I've had the good fortune to visit Cuba and it's, it's really a country of two halves, two stories. On the one hand, it, you have the warmth and colour of the people. Um, on the other hand, you have this dark uh, underlying political suppression, which you don't immediately see, of course. But you do see the strength of the communists. Well, not the strength, but the 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 overtly communist system that Fidel introduced in his revolution in 1958. Like, it's extraordinary. One time I visited, I was staying in a and b and the woman who was running the B&B, or the Casa Particulares, as they call them over there, she presented me with a bar of soap as, it, as if it was like a sacred gift, you know. Or I went into a super, oh, not a supermarket, a kind of a, one of these sh- corner shops, and I noticed that It was one brand of toilet paper, but it wasn't a brand. It was just toilet paper wrapped in plastic because in a purely communist system, why would you have brands or why would you have two makers of toilet paper? You only need one because there's no competition in a system. No kitten soft. No kitten soft, certainly. So this is really the economic legacy of Castro. But in terms of the hardships that were imposed on the people, perhaps they can be best seen, Kieran, through the... Um, eradication of the freedom of the press. This is really important aspect of any dictator. The control of the media, the control of the message of information is extremely important. And Fidel was a master at that. Uh, perhaps best illustrated, of course, by the Black Spring of 2003. Tell me about that. Uh, you and me probably would have been locked up. This was when uh, Fidel went around locking up, um, well, 75 different people, to be specific, 29 people who were involved in journalism, um, librarians, various other intellectuals. And uh, they were 
convicted of uh, ostensibly being paid agents of the United States, but they weren't. You know, for example, one of the people, Omar Rodriguez, he was convicted because he was an independent independent journalist that was taking photographs. He was a photojournalist taking photographs of showing the contrast between what Castro was actually doing to the country and what his messaging was saying, his propaganda machine. Mm. They found a copy of the New York Times in his apartment and this was used as evidence that he was a paid agent of the Yanks. He was sentenced to um, 27 years in prison. Now, he served uh, a number of those years before he was exiled to Spain in 2010. That's just one example yeah. of how dissidents or members of the press are dealt with in Cuba. Uh, some of the themes that have been recurring in this series uh, when it comes to these dictators and their personality types is about the cult of the personality uh, itself and the paranoia that, that that comes with that cult. Were both of those evident in Fidel's Cuba? Yeah, it's really interesting that you ask that, um, Kieran, because I think in many ways the paranoia was more on behalf of the Americans. Uh, the Americans have an extraordinary, an extraordinary paranoia and fear about communism ever since the McCarthyite hearings in the nineteen fifties. And I mean, they, it, by some reports, there were six hundred and thirty-four attempts on Fidel Castro's life during his. Uh, several decades in power. A lot of those carried out by the CIA. None of them were ever successful because Castro was very good at evading them, even though he didn't lock himself up in Cuba. You know, he famously um, delivered remarks at the United Nations in New York in 1960, where he met Malcolm X and he was hailed as a hero in Harlem. When he arrived there, he was uh, much uh, further ahead than his American counterparts in terms of civil rights for people of colour and and that kind of thing. And we should say that. That's important to balance this argument. But in terms of his own paranoia, I think he had to be very careful whenever he picked up uh, one of his uh, Cuban cigars because the CIA famously tried to poison his cigars, uh, never successfully. But the cult of the personality, it was even present when I was there six months after his death in 2017, Kieran. Billboards everywhere, um, murals everywhere with his image, of course, often with Che Guevara, the iconic image of the two of them together. All right. Well, listen, fascinating stuff, uh, as always. I'm really enjoying them, uh, Simon. I look forward to next week's edition uh, from our Dictator series uh, this week, uh, Fidel Castro. 